Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Every road to success is its own, and today's guest is no exception to this belief. He was on a journey and a mission to find the perfect home where he could flourish and showcase his unique skills and talents in the major leagues, and boy did he. A Wake Forest Hall of Fame inductee and beyond, and now presently the analyst of AT&T Sportsnet, Covering the Colorado Rockies, please say hey, hey, hey to former Major League Baseball's Corey Sullivan. Hey, Corey, what's up? What's going on, Steve? I got to be honest with you. I feel like I need you to introduce me anytime I walk in a room. Now, yeah, there you go. I'm good at now. <laughs> <we> pro- <laughs> I love I love this part because it's truly the only structured thing that I do in this interview. Perfect. <laughs> it went well. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, you, are you in Denver right now? I am uh, just outside of Denver. I'm in Evergreen at the house. Okay, all right. So I want to I want to dig into your past. Uh, I want to talk about growing up. Uh, you, this whole tetherball thing, I'm excited about, and also <laughs> uh, and also your bowling expertise because I grew up bowling and uh, and uh, and then all of a sudden I lost my lost my curveball, and so now it's really sideways when I go, and it's it's fun. But but I do want to talk to you about all of that. But take me back growing up. Was baseball it for you as a kid? Did you play football? Did you play other sports, soccer? I mean, what was it like growing up, at, at, you know, as a kid? Uh, so I did play other sports. I played uh, soccer all the way through high school, and I was actually better at that in high school. I was in the national pool. But back when I played, obviously, there was no MLS, so the only choice was to probably go overseas, and I wasn't quite emotionally mature enough for that uh basketball was a little different i played it because my friends played it i wasn't very good i could play defense a little bit i could pass a little bit it was the other you know the shooting and and dribbling and things like that that they kind of caught up with me but uh having a brother who was seven years older who really played soccer i just wanted to be like my older brother and little by little i learned that i had a skill set for baseball so it kind of migrated that way I love hearing this because this is like this is the the gift of being uh, talented enough to talk about a couple sports. You're better at a sport that obviously in the states hadn't sort of come to terms with, you know, where it is now. I mean, and yeah. so let's talk about soccer. Where do you think you know it's really grown? And um, it, it didn't exist. So I'm older than you, and it didn't. It just didn't exist for us. It wasn't an option at all. It was football, basketball, baseball, tennis, track, and that was it. So, 
you know, where do you feel like uh, soccer sort of came along and really sort of started to make its way in the mainstream? Well, I think with, you know, some of the medical issues that are developing with football and, uh, you know, some other things that, that are kind of holding other sports up, I think the biggest setback for soccer has always been the best athletes in the States play other sports. And, you know, I think parents are making choices more consciously to keep their kids safe. And so those kids are starting to head that direction. Not all, obviously, but some. And I think we're starting to see a better brand of soccer. To me, one of the biggest issues with soccer in the United States is we, we're a, uh, you know, immediate gratification society sometimes. And in soccer, that means you play the ball forward as fast as you can. Well, uh, as you know, other countries, you know, slow it down, play three-on-one and one-touch, two-touch soccer and just exploit our weaknesses because of that. But I think it's starting to get a little bit better. I love it. We're talking to Corey Sullivan. Spent a long time in the major leagues playing baseball, but we're talking soccer. All right, so tell me, talk to me about bowling and growing up. I mean, I started when I, was, I remember the Bantam Leagues, I think. I was young. My uncle would take me. He bowled in a league on Monday nights uh, and his, uh, as far as back as I can remember. And he would take us to bowl, and we got hooked, and we'd compete and all that. And I remember state tournaments, and I mean, it was a long time ago. And having my own balls, and 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 getting the shoes, and you know, walking around with that. And so, tell me, take me back. Uh, did you have like an influence at your house that was similar to mine? So my mom and my brother, like I said, my brother was seven years older. They were in a league when I was young, but we always went. And you know, this is back in the old days when you had to keep your own score. And I, you know, I loved keeping score for the family, uh, developed a little bit of a sleeping disorder in high school where I couldn't sleep, but we lived down the road from in Pittsburgh from McKnight Lanes, and they had all-night bowling for $10. Wow. And my parents my parents couldn't stay awake with me, so they would say, you know what, just you're, you can go down there, you can do all-night bowling, and I kind of just taught myself and picked it up, and next thing I knew, I got pretty good at it. And my family, when I say is as competitive as it gets, we compete at getting in the car. That's how bad it is. Wow. So, Corey, so, th- I mean, I think that says a lot about how and, and how you got there. You know what I mean? To play Major League Baseball. When did it start to click where you started to stand out? Obviously, you're standing out in soccer. W- were you standing out at baseball at what point? Uh, I'm, my senior year of high school, I started noticing that, you know, I was getting much, much better at baseball, not than soccer, just better at it. And, you know, I think that's when it can, I convinced myself. I think at 10, I wanted to play baseball, you know. But my senior year of high school, I, I knew that was my path. And growing up in high school or in Pittsburgh, you only play roughly 20 to 24 games because of the weather. And I knew that wasn't enough. I knew if I wanted to compete on a national level and chase this as a dream and a career, I needed to go learn the game and compete against the players that did it all year round. So I had a friend who was two years older than me who went to the University of Tennessee with a backup quarterback there and also the center fielder there. His roommate, his name was Jeff Pickler, and his dad was the head coach at one of the top junior colleges in the country. So he set me up having kind of a recruiting visit, and I flew out there and went and worked out and his dad told me, you know, I think this will work out. You're going to have to compete. We play 55 games in the fall and 55 games in the spring. And, you know, that's where I consider my baseball education beginning. And the very first game I ever played in junior college baseball was against Chinese Taipei 
and I overthrew the cutoff man from center field, and I got pulled out of the game in the middle of an inning, and I had never seen that before. <laughs> and that's another way I learned. Uh, my coach, when he pulled me out, grabbed my glove. He wrote PPP on my glove, and then he wanted me to understand pre-pitch preparation. Uh, just another lesson in doing the little things right. All right, what, is pre, what exactly is that? Because I've never heard of that. Uh, pre-pitch preparation is wherever you are on the field, whether you're the pitcher, whether you're the second baseman, you have a job to do after the pitch, whether it's backing up a base, whether it's turning a double play. Go through the outcomes in your head so you know where you need to be and what you need to do. Do you have a lot of crazy idiosyncrasies like uh, you know when something's going on in the game and you notice it and all of a sudden like you put a certain amount of sunflower, uh, sunflower seeds left or right or you're spitting a certain amount at a certain time frame and you're counting in your head? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking. No, yeah. I, I had all of those borderline obsessive-compulsive, we'll call them ritualistic behaviors when I was probably up until I was 25 or 26. And then uh, somebody somebody asked me a question involving it, and I was like, oh, my God, I've never thought of it that way. It was, well, what would happen if you did the opposite and you were successful? Hmm. And I was like, hmm, I've never really thought of it. So it kind of just helped me shed all of that. But baseball is just such a game of habit and routine that it's so hard to keep yourself sometimes that those those things don't necessarily matter. I, I, you know, it, it reminds me of I, I know, and I've, I was that way in sports. I would, I think, I would rake my nose or something like a certain amount of time. I mean, I did a lot of crazy things too on the on the yeah. amateur level, right? So, so I can imagine when it counts, like you're getting paid to do it, that there's no telling what you put yourself through. I know golfers are really bad. They have the twi- a lot of twitches and quirks, and and sometimes they can't even pull the trigger. That it gets it takes forever. But the one guy and the one sport. To me, that I've never seen anything like it, is Rafael Nadal in tennis. I've never seen a guy. I mean, it used to be he'd pull his underwear, right? One underwear left, mm-hmm. cheek, two cheek, and then he'd serve. Now he goes, and it was only when he served. So it was now he goes underwear, cheek, left cheek, right cheek. Uh, he he touches uh, the sides. He pulls his hair left, right ear, touches nose, cheeks. I mean, it is a <laughs> it, it wears me out. But now. He actually does it. He he actually added moves, added more moves, and he'll do it now on the return of service. I mean, do you think that he ever looks? Do you think his team are ever telling him, "Hey, uh, maybe you shouldn't do that," or they're just quiet and let him <laughs> let him do whatever he's got to do because it's working? Uh, yeah, I think when you're starting to talk about the greats, I think the less it, it's funny. The greatest players I've ever played with in baseball are all some of the most superstitious people, and. I, it's funny because I've never reached their level of success, but I keep wanting to tell them they're just great. Just be great. You don't yeah. have to do those things. But sometimes they're so fragile, and that's them in their greatness, and it just really doesn't make sense to me. But I wanted to say, when you were saying that about Nadal, it sounded... Did you ever play Contra on Nintendo when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah, I did. I still remember the cheat code. It sounds like Nadal's using a cheat code. Yeah. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. <laughs> that's, that's what that sounded like. That's exactly, I love it. We're talking to Corey Sullivan. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Stand by. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Steve Azar. We are in the Mississippi Minute. I'm really happy to have Corey Sullivan, uh, former major leaguer. All right, so where does the point of getting pulled from the outfield in the middle of an inning come to uh, you starting to really develop as a future major leaguer? So for me, what it did was hammer the idea into me of you have to be perfect on the things you can control. Hitting the cutoff man, I can control. Getting a sacrifice bunt down, I can control. Doing a hit and run, executing it well, I can control. And I needed to understand, you know what? You're not the biggest, baddest, best baseball player. You've got to work the corners. You need to learn the little things that are going to help you be successful where people are never going to ask the question, can he do this? Right. You know, can he get the bunt down? That question will never come up in my name. That, it, that's what happened in my head was I'm going to make sure that I can do everything this game requires that I can control. So you were, you were all in. You're looking back yeah. at your life and you're going like, okay, I know what I got. At this point, are you thinking, I want to get there? I want to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, after, during my freshman year, I can remember being very homesick. I was out in California. I didn't have any friends there, obviously. I was making new friends, but I didn't have any of my high school friends. And I had a choice. Am I going? Why did I come here? Why did I choose this school? It was to learn this game and get better at it. So I have to do everything I can to accomplish that goal. All right. So t- talk to me. Your your assets you feel like that got you to the next level. You end up going. You end up becoming. Were you like a? I mean, you you're in the Hall of Fame at Cypress College. So what accolades did you, you know, did you put together when you were there? Uh, I came within five points of breaking the California State Junior College record for batting average at the time. Uh, I'm going to guess, I think I hit 429 my sophomore year. Man. Um, you know, for me, I, that team, so back then, junior college, a lot of guys from California would get drafted after their senior year of high school, and they would go to junior college in the fall and spring and use it as leverage. There was a thing called draft and follow, where a team still owns your rights. They don't do it anymore. But they owned your rights all the way until the night before the next year's draft. So these guys would go try and put up really good numbers, whether they're pitching or hitting, to try and increase their signing bonus. And that team was one of the most talented teams I've ever been on. And for me to go there and be like, okay, I'm playing with you know 12 guys that were drafted last year that six of them are probably going to sign professional contracts. And coming from Pittsburgh, signing a professional contract didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand really what that meant. But now seeing it firsthand and seeing myself be successful, I was like, okay, I can do this. I can play at this level with these guys. I can put my name in the hat. I can get there. Wow. We're talking to Corey Sullivan. Corey, all right, so you go and uh, you, you get Wake Forest comes calling. Uh, did you have a choice to go pro at that point after your you do two years at Cypress? Is that right? Yeah, two years at Cypress. Graduated from there with an AA, and then you're batting um, almost five hundred. I mean, everybody's <laughs> got to be coming. So, what what's your decision at that point? I had uh, uh, quite a few choices at that point, but I my dad had always been a businessman, and he kind of helped me understand that you have an opportunity to hedge your bet now. So why don't you use baseball as a jumping-off point for an education? So I started looking at schools that had 
you know, great baseball programs and also higher education. So it was down to Vanderbilt, Tulane, Wake Forest, Virginia, schools like that. And at the time, Wake Forest was coming off winning two ACC championships. So I, to me, uh, that was the best of both that I could get. Unfortunately, Vanderbilt at the time wasn't what it is now, which is the juggernaut. Right. And I went to Winston-Salem on a recruiting visit and kind of just fell in love with how small and intimate it was. I mean, it's the second smallest Division One school. It's only got, at the time, it only had 3,800 undergrads. Rice was number one. And I liked that. I liked not getting lost in the shuffle of a big school. And that's kind of how it went. Uh, so you get your degree. And then, mm-hmm. and then you're. It's time. You got. There's nowhere else to go except to go up and go play right. professionally. So who drafts you? The Rockies drafted me in 2001 out of Wake Forest. Uh, it's seventh rounder, and this is kind of where that idea of doing the little things right really, to me, paid off because out of the draft, typically guys go to short season, which is in you know the. Pacific Northwest, there's a group there. There's also a group in, you know, the Northeast where you go and you kind of get thrown together and you play roughly 30 to 40 games. They came to me out of the draft and said, you know, we think you know the game well enough and are prepared well enough that I just went straight to A-ball. Wow. So straight to A-ball. And then where where was their uh, A-team at? I I was very fortunate. (laughs) Uh, it was in Asheville, North Carolina, right down the road. From I where played I music left. there many times. I love Asheville. Yep. Beautiful town. Beautiful town. Yep. Uh, sort of hippified a little bit musically. I don't know what it was like yep. baseball wise, but the people were just very. There was a very. It felt very artsy and cultural. You know. Yeah, very eclectic group. Right. Exactly. Okay. So how long are you? How long are you in the? Uh, you know, at single A. Uh, so that year, I, I played Nashville for the two months left. Uh, the next year, I went up to High A, which is was in Salem, Virginia. Again, right down the road where I went. To is that college. Triple A? When you say High, A? no, that's so that. So the way the minor leagues, there are six minor league stops. Oh, okay. It's kind of people think of three. There's really six. Right. There's short season. There's low A. There's High A. There's Double A. There's Triple A, and then extended spring training is for guys who don't make one of those teams are coming off an injury. So that's kind of the way it goes. I went low A in Asheville, high A, Salem, Virginia in 2002, and then double A in 2003, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 2004, I had an opportunity to make the big league club. In my mind, I was going to, and I ended up having Tommy John surgery. Wow. So I missed yeah. the whole year. The setbacks. Oh, man, the setbacks. So, Tommy John, how long does that take, and, and where were you emotionally in this whole in that ride at that point? Tommy John is, it was a result of the fact that I pitched all the way through college as well. And that it was the ligament my elbow was tearing little by little and it finally snapped. Um, the day I found out I had to have Tommy John was pretty much, I don't want to say worst day because I don't necessarily think that's the way it works, but it was a eye-opening, terrifying experience of this can be taken away from me at any time. And you may not get to do what you want to do, and that's okay. Uh, but it was uh, very surreal. The rehab time they typically give is right around 12 months for position players. Hmm. Uh, I had other plans. I told the organization that I planned on playing in what was called the Arizona Fall League, if they would let me, which started on September 15th, which was six months to the day from the day I had surgery. Wow. And I, I did some things outside of my rehab that I probably wasn't supposed to do, but you know, a lot of the people that I had talked to 
as a position player, you get so much atrophy in your shoulder and your forearm that, you know, sometimes you develop pain when you're starting to throw again in that area. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to use the experience I had when I was in high school and I'm going to go and I'm going to bowl to rehab my arm. And I know how that sounds. And I didn't do full arm sweep bowling. I just did, you know, I let the ball holding a 10 pound ball going back and forth and throwing it at the pins. Not a lot of pronation or supination to risk any injury and just strengthening my arm that way. And, you know, I don't know if to the day, to now, I still have the fastest recovery from it, but back then I did. That's crazy. We're talking to Corey Sullivan. Okay, so you've invented something. You know, my brother is a chief of staff. <laughs> he's an ortho guy. He's a Grizz- Memphis Grizzlies ortho guy. And among yeah. all that, and I, I've got to tell him. I never told the organization up until about three or four years ago that that's what I had done. The doctor who did my surgery, Dr. Noonan from the Stedman Hawking Clinic here. Yeah, Stedman. Like, I know who Stedman. I've met Stedman before. So Yeah, I, I am so glad you did not tell me that you were doing that. Right? I, he's like, I would have never let you leave the, <laughs> the uh, ha- hospital. I would, he's like, there's no way. And I'm sure since then he has thought about the fact of, well, I mean, really wasn't putting any undue stress on the area that we did the surgery as long as he was doing it the right way, um, you know, to strengthen your forearm and to strengthen your shoulder. I mean, that's kind of what the first three months of rehab are for an injury like that is just strengthening the areas around it. And you're waiting for the graft to take. And after three months, you can start throwing again, but only at like oh, 10 feet, 10 throws. It's really nothing. And you just slowly introduce yourself back into it and, I'm hoping at some point that they've started to take the idea of, you know, really allowing guys to think about it. Throwing is such a mobility and flexibility, and our bodies don't like it at all. So you've got to be able to get yourself back into that ability. And for me, you know, just doing the little three feet of motion with a bowling ball gets out. Wow, that's just crazy. That's that's that's, that's creative, and it, it, it was risky, and it worked. Yeah. Corey, we're talking to Corey Sullivan. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Corey, you get to play DJ because Mississippi is the birthplace of American music. This is where it all started, all genres. Everybody's been influenced from this beautiful place that, uh, that I call home. You get to choose. Would you like to hear a little Jimmy Buffett or Three Doors Down? Ooh, uh, ooh Jimmy Buffett's the first concert I ever went to, so I'm going to go with Jimmy. All right, there you go. We're in the Mississippi Minute. We're Corey Sullivan. Stand by. Come Monday, I'll be holding you tight. I If Alexa's part of your life, you've got one more way to access Super Talk. Super Talk Mississippi is now available on Amazon Alexa devices. Once enabled, just say, Alexa, play Super Talk Mississippi at any time and start listening. It's that easy. Just one more way to stay informed and connected with your state. Learn more at supertalk.fm slash Alexa. Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. Now available on Amazon Alexa devices. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're with Major League Baseball, former Major League Baseball, Hall of Famer at Wake Forest, Hall of Famer at his junior college, Cypress Point. Is that right, Corey? No, just Cypress College. Cypress College. And 
Oh, Cypress Point, I think, is a golf course. I think we probably yes, both play. It's anyway. the one that's really difficult up north. <laughs> <laughs> I, got my, got, I got my thoughts now on golf. Uh, and speaking of golf, so you're, you're a heck of a player. In fact, we just got through coming back from an event together, uh, Golfers Against Cancer in Denver, where you guys, did you, didn't you win it? Yes, my team did win it. For the first time, I finished second like three or four years in a row. Goodness. All right, tell me, I know you're competitive. You talk about your family and all that. And golf, obviously, is a very competitive game. Uh, and uh, when did you pick up golf, and when did it start to click? So my dad had a set of clubs, because I'm left-handed. So back in you know the mid-'80s, it was not easy to find a left-handed set of clubs for, for kids. So my dad had a friend who was left-handed, got his old clubs, and had them cut down to fit me. And uh, I think I was roughly five or six years old where I accidentally hit a ball from the front yard about 40 or 50 yards in the air into our neighbor's window and broke it, and it went into the sink, and I hit for two hours under the car, and then I was hooked. Um, You know, everyone always says baseball is the hardest thing to do is hit a major league fastball, and I admit it's hard, but hitting a golf ball consistently, to me, so much harder. Well, Corey, it's the only game the ball's sitting there staring at you, not moving except for t-ball, right? I mean, you're leaving out you're leaving out the word laughing at you. Yeah, oh, it I is feel laughing. Like the ball at laughs you. at me. It does. It laughs at me a lot, and it does what it wants to do a lot. And it's uh, yeah. it's amazing the work you have to put in, even for that as well. There's so many parts of the game that you have to develop and and get so it all clicks. Um, are you a big driver of the golf ball? You were, po- were you a power hitter versus, you know, obviously baseball, did it help you? I'm asking three questions, but you know what I'm going. So I was lucky because I had always played both growing up. So I kind of had two very independent swings. If anything, I would say that my baseball swing hurt my golf swing. Um, you know, baseball, you're taught to stay through the baseball as long as possible. Golf, you're taught to, you know, roll, get, get your top hand through the golf ball so that you – don't leave the club face open. Um, so that helped. Question two. Uh, remind me. Over the I don't two. even know at this point. This is what happens. This is where uh, <laughs> I should go back to the introduction. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'm just thinking in general uh, the difference in the sports. But but let's let's forget about whatever I asked because it doesn't matter. But let's talk about uh, power, where you get your power from. Uh, you, you sort of touched on it, but uh, – does it come from the same place? I mean, people. T- I've seen we've seen long distance drivers get on their knees and hit it two eighty. You know, so yeah. obviously everybody talks about your your lower body and using your legs for this and that and all that. But obviously there has to be a lot of strength up top, right? Uh, there does, and that was actually the first question: Is am I a power hitter? So I used to consider myself one. I had a killer B forty six inch driver and thought it was really cool. And then I realized, well, it's better to be in the fairway than fifty yards left. <laughs> Um, but baseball taught me one thing is that, yeah, you can be big and strong and use those big muscles, but the guys who can do it consistently use their fast twitch, quick muscles. And it's the same for golf where, you know, that club head speed comes from those small, quick, fast twitch muscles. You can usually, I mean, Rory McIlroy, obviously is a very strong guy, but he's a littler guy and mm-hmm. he can absolutely hammer a golf ball because he's got that quick, fast twitch muscle justin so thomas the same way right yeah, a little exactly. guy, ricky fowler they're small guys yeah you talk about these this this twitch muscle these fast twitch I, t- I just recently interviewed aldo greco and he was talking about the same thing 
Uh, he's a really good golfer, really great. I, I spent a lot of time playing golf with Al. and uh, But obviously he said it's the same thing for kicking and being a field goal kicker or kicking off. He goes, you had to use those. And, I mean, I don't think I've even ever heard of those, like separating muscles. So where are they? Yep. What Define that for me. So from my understanding, they're almost like the muscle fiber that is in your muscles or, you know, don't think forearm muscles, think hands, think quickness. It's, it's one of those things that I'm not sure, you know, physiologically I could explain other than it's the muscle fiber rather than the muscle itself. It's crazy. Who in the heck thought of that? I mean, it's crazy yeah. to think that you could break down the muscle itself and it would affect power like that. We're talking to Corey Sullivan. Okay, Corey, you are in the major leagues now. Uh, you're, you've, you've, you've healed yourself. You've done half of it medically against all rules, and you figure, <laughs> figure something out. And bowling, uh, a love of yours, pulls you out, and you, you gain your strength back. Are you, when you come back, are you stronger than ever? So when I came back, because I came back a little early, I definitely had a little bit of pain in my shoulder like everyone had talked about. And, you know, my arm strength was one of my better assets. And I did everything I could that offseason to make sure that I got it back to where it was. I'm not sure it got uh, better until the second year back from Tommy John. I would say 2006 is where it actually felt like, wow, I, okay, I can make the ball carry a little bit further. Um, but the rehab taught me how to really train my body. I'd never really done that, you know, focused training and dedicated it to making that part of my routine. Uh, that was a huge asset. Wow. When you tied the Major League Baseball record for two triples in one inning Am I, is that right where were you yep, playing yep. and 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 how the you know you guys obviously made you made around the batting order <laughs> what was t- take me back what team were you playing for then so i was on the rockies that was in 2006 uh we were playing in san diego and you know, jake pv was the starter that day and we had had some success against jake pv uh who you, who you might know actually and uh yeah. he lives down there in the, in the south plays a little golf too play some music as well. And, um, you know, I'd had some good success against them, and I, I think it was the second or third inning, honestly, and I was hitting leadoff that day and, you know, let off the inning with a triple. Next thing you know, we bat around, and to be honest with you, they removed Jake Peavy right before I came up for the second time and brought in uh, Chanho Park, and hmm. I, for some reason in my head, it felt like it was a different inning. I don't know why. <laughs> and I hit a triple again, and I didn't know it was a record until after the game I got asked about tying it, and they said, you know, you're the first one in the you know, modern era. I, out of the 11, the other 10 did it before 1955. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's, there's one thing I do know. It'll never be broken. It may get tied, but nobody will ever hit it. <laughs> no, oh, my God, they'll call the game <laughs> before that happens. Yeah. Oh, my God, it'll be over. All right, Corey, we're talking to Corey Sullivan, and – Okay, you got to tell me what it feels like to walk on the field in October. And now it's probably November. We, we, everything's been extended. I know that. But what does it feel like when you get there? You're playing in the World Series, and you're walk. You're, you're running out on that field. I mean, did you ever? Did you? Did you ever have a second to to just ponder where you were and the enorm the enormity of it all? So <clears throat> that team in 2007 went on what's regarded as one of the most historic runs in the history of baseball. We won 13 of our final 14 games 
to get into a play-in game against the San Diego Padres. We had to play game 163. And truth be told, that game, I think, is one of the top five games in the history of baseball. That's the one where you may have seen the highlight of Matt Holliday sliding into home. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows if he touched the plate. It was the 14th inning. It was insane. And that gets us into the playoffs. And then we sweep the Phillies, who we weren't even supposed to win a game against. And then we sweep the Diamondbacks, who we're not supposed to win a game against, and end up in the World Series playing the Boston Red Sox. And honestly, the first game of the World Series was nine days after we had played our last game. And we had been one of the hottest teams ever. But for nine days, when you're in baseball, what do you do? You know, we're so used to playing every day. And well, you won too soon, out. right? You just won too. Yeah. Everybody's still playing, and you guys have got to take a break. But when we went out on the field in that first World Series game, honestly, I I don't know if I've ever felt more like a kid. It was one of those things where you're like, oh, my God, this is what you play the game for. This is why we all wanted to play this game was to have an opportunity to be the best. And that's honestly what it felt like. And the fans in Denver were absolutely incredible. And it was just surreal. It, it honestly, so we had our 10-year reunion uh, last year for that at Coors Field. And I think it was the first time, because when you, after the season, once the game ends on the last day of the season, the guys kind of scatter the next day. So you don't really have an opportunity to just kind of reminisce about what happened. But last year we did, and we all talked about how fast that seemed to go by and how amazing the run was and how incredible the team was. And it just kind of tell stories about the little things about that season. It was awesome. We're talking to Corey Sullivan. You're at a Mississippi Minute. Stand by. Oh, I'm sinking or swimming with you. Oh, I'd rather be swimming with you, girl. In the market for new pillows, I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA, my friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Flow is the foam in the inside designed by their veteran team. The Omni Flow is a one of a kind product that is unlike any other material. It is a patent material that adjusts as the weight is applied. They combine that with responsive temperature control that regulates your body temperature as you sleep. OmniPilla has a 100-day return policy. And listen to this. They'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal? To give away 1 million pillows. Go to OmniPillow.com. That's OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret Regret it. Thanks, guys. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are in a Mississippi Minute. I'm really happy to have Corey Sullivan, uh, former major leaguer. So you play for the Mets. You play, and by the way, when I grew up, the Mets were our minor league team in Jackson, Mississippi, and they've changed to, to the Braves. So I grew up a sort of a Mets fan because of, of that. I remember the 86 Mets. I mean, I remember watching those guys come, Strawberry, Good, and all. They came down to Jackson, and we were at that game that year when they played their minor league team before the season started. Did you ever dream and want to go, wow, how cool would it be to play in your home state, in your hometown of Pittsburgh? Oh. Oh, my God. So I grew up in the early 90s in Pittsburgh when they were phenomenal. And they would win 
every year, and they would go get beat by the Atlanta Braves in the Philadelphia <laughs> every single year. Uh, I would have done just about anything. You know, it's what, the one thing I love about the city of Pittsburgh, every team wears black and gold. It is the only team. You know, I don't think I've ever noticed that. That's right. The hockey team does. Baseball. Every team wears black and gold. My high school wore black and gold. My little league team wore black and gold. Just have one terrible towel for everything. (laughs) Exactly. And so, yeah. I mean, it's like. I mean, you know, when you're born in Pittsburgh, within a hundred miles, they wrap you in a terrible towel. Wow. That's not. That's not a joke. I mean, it is bred into you to bleed black and gold. So, yeah, I would have done just just about anything to have played for the Pirates. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't in the cards, but my first major league home run, a pinch hit home run in Pittsburgh. Come on. Yeah. Did you have your whole, a whole family there, cousins, My friends? whole family, all my friends, they were all there. I'll bet they were going nuts. I love it. I'll be, it was crazy. I, I got to an 0-2 count against Rick White, and all I thought was, I am not striking out in front of these people. <laughs> I am not doing it. And... The next thing I knew, I was trotting around the bases. I couldn't. I, I couldn't swallow. I had no saliva in my yeah. mouth, and I tried to contain a smile because we were getting beat by seven runs. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that just happened." That's incredible. You grow up there, so you grow up as a kid watching the Pirates play, right? You go to those yep. games, and now you're playing in that. It's the same stadium, right? No. So I grew up, and it was Three Rivers, and then they changed it to PNC Park, which, by okay. the way, is one of the greatest parks I've ever been to. Yeah, I, it seems like everybody's got to keep up with the Joneses now. It's important, right, uh, yeah. that you that you keep your facilities really nice. And I remember, right, Three Rivers, man, you got to be kidding. I remember seeing the dirt. Uh, from the beginning of football season, from baseball, right? You'd see the, you see, it took so long for grass to grow. <laughs> so, all right, Corey, tell me about what it's like now. You retire, and you become an analyst now, and just being one of the ones talking about the game now, and doing it for a profession. But uh, is it exciting for you to do it as it was playing? Truth be told. One of the guys I work with, his name is Ryan Stilborg. He also played in the major leagues with me at the same time. We were both outfielders. One of my best friends. We did this when we were on the bench. We would call the game in a way or talk the game and talk strategy. So I never foresaw myself being an analyst. I had no idea that this would come about. But truth be told, it is what I would do with you at the bar. I would talk the game of baseball. I love the game. I love the nuances. I love everything about it. And getting a platform to do it where I get to analyze the game is, honestly, I thought I had the best job playing the game. I kind of feel like I have the best job now. That's amazing. Well, in this case with me, uh, doing the radio thing, uh, I've never been, you know, until January, this radio show's new, and until January... I'd always been the one being asked the questions my whole life. And right. I love being on this side of it. And now it's funny. I'll go to the grocery store. I'll go. I don't care where I'm at in the state of Mississippi, Oxford, the the Gulf Coast, Jackson. Oh, my gosh. We love your radio show. We did it. They go into detail. And I'm going like they don't even care about my music. All they want to do is hear me run my mouth. It's a horrible. It's, it's like, but <laughs> I do dig it. And uh, and I appreciate it. No, they and, care about the way you connect to people and and how you relate to them and how you bring out the best of them. Well, I hope I brought out the best in you today because you're a great guy, man. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I know our listeners are going to really enjoy getting to know you better 
Uh, I knew you as a baseball player before I knew you as a human, as a person. You know, you were you were so far away, and uh, I've I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I appreciate it. And you take care of Denver for me, and uh, and I'll see you soon, uh, hopefully very soon. Sounds good. And I appreciate you taking the time to have me on the show. There's one thing I wanted to say that I when we had dinner the other night, I tried my best not to fanboy out when you told me you were friends with Morgan Freeman. Like that is one of the people that. I think he is an incredible actor, an incredible man, and I was like, I can't let him know that I'm such a huge fan. No, you got to come <laughs> down now, because guess what? Yeah. You wait until you yeah. go. You come down, and here's what happens. We go to Bayou Bend Country Club in Sumner, Mississippi. You're going to go, where's the tea box? You're gonna, if there's corn, the corn is high, or whatever's been, whatever they're farming. And then you got to have a key to the clubhouse. And then, who knows, Morgan may call bingo. We don't know. But he's fun to play with. He gets really serious. And listen, he's had a bad car wreck years ago. And so he plays one-handed. And it looks like a tennis player. So you would be great for him. I know I had Reggie Smith play with him. And he really worked with his power and stuff and where he's generating. And Reggie was like in awe. Because it's just amazing. But, yeah, you would love him. He's a great guy. And he's he's just a a regular Mississippi dude. So we'll, we'll make that happen sometime. And... And tell Jacqueline, I really appreciate you guys. You guys fed us incredible at this new great restaurant that that I had never been to. And it's what? What's the name of it? STK. STK. Well, we're not going to have that in Greenville. It's not going to work out. But <laughs> but I know now where to go. And I tell her I appreciate the meal and and you guys and the hospitality. And we've been with Corey Sullivan, incredible Major League Baseball career all the way through. All these Hall of Fame inductions all the way, and now. And now getting to run his mouth and talk about the game he loves. Uh, I appreciate you been in the Mississippi Minute. Later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.